Isaiah the prophet speaks clearly about Yeshua HaMashiach, or Jesus Christ. We'll talk about that in about five minutes. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. My name is Rod Hembry. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV, where we study the Bible. That is the Word of God, I believe. And uh, it is something that we can learn from today. Corey and Ryan are here. Corey. I'm going to be taking a look at first century fishing practices because of something that's said in Matthew chapter 4. Ryan? Today, Jesus stresses a principle taught by Solomon in Proverbs 25. So we'll talk about it a bit later on in the program. Very interesting. First century fishing techniques. Yes, and specific <laughs> to the Sea of Galilee even. I am fascinated <laughs> by that. That is great. Okay, that's all coming up in about 20 minutes. Janice, in 25 minutes, what's going on? I'm going to stick around for that too. Um, I called my segment Fishers of Men or Just As I Am. All right, take out your Bible guide. Let's listen to God's Word. Matthew 4, 12 through 22. Now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus, walking by the sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 22. Matthew chapter 4, chapter 5, and chapter 6. That's what we continue to study today as we go through the Bible. Now, going through the Bible is really something. And uh, as we get closer to Revelation, this is very important to the world in the state that it is today. But, you know, the disciples of Jesus were interesting men, regular men. In fact, it seems that most of them did not have much of a connection with those in the high priesthood or other religious leadership of the day. I mean, they were not trained scholars or scribes. The disciples that Jesus called to himself were regular men who worked and lived a part of everyday culture. Jesus calls the first four of these men where the population was largely Gentile. Now, they were fishermen from Galilee. Now, Jesus moved to the Galilean region 
and shows his intent to save Gentiles as well as Jews. Now, this is fascinating because the Old Testament prophesied that Gentiles would come to God through the Messiah. Now, this is likely impossible to do. But Jesus Christ was and is God. And he chose to show the world that everyone was invited to come. To come right smack dab in the middle of his kingdom. Now that's fascinating. As we read this story, we begin to understand what Jesus was facing. There's a number of things he was facing. Uh, chapter 3, for example, or chapter 4, the temptation of Jesus. This is an amazing time in the life of Christ. Then the ministry of Jesus Christ begins. Then, of course, we go into chapter 5, and that's interesting. Well, the first disciples in chapter 4, verse 18 begins, and the crowds follow him. And the Sermon on the Mount is chapter 5. Remember that one, that is blessed. God blesses those who are poor and all that. That's really here. It's awesome. Teaching about salt and light, teaching about the law, teaching about anger, teaching about adultery, teaching about divorce, teaching about vows, teaching about revenge, teaching about love for enemies. That's a hard one. Teaching about giving to the needy, teaching about prayer and fasting, and then, of course, teaching about money and possessions. I mean, this, this is absolutely outstanding what the Lord has done. And, uh, and as we do take a look at this, turn your Bible guide to today's passage. If you don't have a Bible guide, you, you know what I'm going to say. Call us or write to us or go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com where it'll take you to a page where you can download exactly how we printed it, exactly what we're doing. And so that's good. Today we talk about the call. Chapter 4, beginning with verse 12. That is really something. Let's pray. Father, today we pray in Jesus' name that you would help us. Help us to understand what you've said and read from the Bible, not into it, but help us to learn about you today. Holy Spirit, teach us your way. Show us your path. In the name of Jesus Christ, and we said together, amen. Now let's look at the scripture. Chapter 4, verse 12. Now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, this is fascinating, he departed to Galilee. That, that line right there is fascinating, and we could study that for Two hours. We don't have that time. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be filled with what was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. These people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus Christ began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The prophet Isaiah spoke about Yeshua. Isaiah 9, 1 and 2 is quoted by, in Matthew chapter 4. God's prophets spoke his truth. We, we need to understand that. We need to get that. Because God's prophets spoke his truth. And that's what Matthew says. It quotes the Old Testament prophets here. 
And so you cannot understand exactly what they're saying if you've not read the Old Testament. But if you're going through the Bible with us, you have read the Old Testament. If you're just starting, that's good. Start now and we'll continue because at the end of the year, we'll go back and go to the Old Testament again. But the Old Testament, the New Testament are the same book. It's the Bible. And so we have to understand that. All right, let's go on. This is great. Matthew chapter four, verse 18. And Yeshua walking by the sea of Galilee saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting the net into the sea for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And they immediately left their nets and followed him. That's stunning. They just left. When Jesus called, they immediately left their nets and followed him. Jesus has power in his call, beloved. If you are being called by Jesus today, prepare yourself because there is such wonderful power in his call. We should answer his call and we should follow him. Jesus Christ may be calling you today and you may be watching and not a Christian or don't like to identify yourself as such. Doesn't matter. Jesus is calling you. So it doesn't matter what you like or don't like. If God is calling you because it's God, you need to respond and say, Jesus, I'm here. Give him your life. Say, I give you my life. And I decide to serve you with all my heart. And I believe that you died on the cross and rose again. I trust you. Help me, Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how you do it. And that's exactly what Jesus does. Gives you the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome many things. So I want to encourage you today. Chapter 4, verse 21. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. And here again, immediately they left their boat and their father, and they followed him. Do you understand what's going on here? The call of Jesus is so strong. The call of Yeshua is stronger than any family tie. When we follow the Lord God, we belong to the family of God. Let me tell you something. I'm getting ready to begin a program that I am so excited about. It's a program called Beyond the Call. And it's weekly and it talks about people's testimony. I want to tell you, uh, we're going to make an offer to your station so you can see it in your area. But if you watch on the internet, you'll be able to see it as well. One of the people I'm going to talk to is a woman by the name of Cherie Joshua. She's an excellent lady. And she came to Jewish, came to know the Lord. And the Lord transformed her life. I mean, it's an amazing testimony. And when you begin to see these testimonies, you'll see that God changes people. People change and they get amazing. And so God can change your life wherever you are right now. You say, my life's not good. doesn't matter. If your life is horrible, it doesn't matter. God will take your life and make it wonderful. Come to Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach, because when you come, the Lord will change you. And you'll start from the inside out, and you will be a different person. This character of King Saul, this historical figure. Now, I think it's probably fair to say that most of us when we think of King Saul, we think of the bad guy foil to King David. But an entire book of the Bible is also dedicated to 
mostly his reign. Of course, that's 1 Samuel. So I'm really excited to jump into it today and see what we can learn about Saul. Welcome back to the program. Today's report is based on Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 48, where Jesus teaches that we ought to love our enemies and bless those who curse us, do good to those who hate us, and pray for those who spitefully use us and persecute us. And Jesus here is stressing a principle taught in Proverbs 26. And in that proverb, Solomon instructs his readers that if your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he's thirsty, give him water to drink. For so you will heap coals of fire on his head, and the Lord will reward you. Uh, Paul also teaches from this proverb, and the message is very clear. We are to love our enemies and return evil with good. But what I want to do today is focus on the specific result of our actions. And the result, according to Solomon, is that you will heap burning coals on your enemy's head. Now, that's a really interesting allusion, and we want to try and figure out what it means and what it's referring to. So, let's do that. Although a human's natural tendency is to love his friends and hate his enemies, Solomon in Proverbs 25 verses 21 and 22 goes against the grain by suggesting to his readers that if your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat, and if he is thirsty, give him water to drink, for you will heat burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. The Apostle Paul, who directly quoted this proverb in Romans 12.20, also admonishes his readers to do likewise. And the Messiah, Jesus, so too stressed this principle in Matthew 5.44. Interestingly, certain extra-biblical wisdom literature also admonishes such behavior. For instance, an ancient Egyptian work advises the wise person to shame fools or their enemies by pulling them out of deep water and by feeding them once bread until they are so full that they are ashamed. Similarly, the precepts and admonitions in Babylonian wisdom literature states that the wise man should not return evil to the man who disputes with you, and should in fact smile on your adversary. While this is almost certainly the direction in which this proverb is going, Solomon's metaphor of heaping burning coals on the head remains somewhat obscure. One possibility is that it's a reference to a particular Assyrian punishment in which hot asphalt was poured on the offender's head. The problem with this is that Proverbs 25 refers to coals, not hot tar. In fact, this Assyrian practice sounds a lot more like the punishment of tarring and feathering that we read about in more recent historical accounts. A second and more likely possibility is that Solomon was referring to an Egyptian ritual in which a guilty person, as a sign of repentance, carried a basin of glowing coals on the head. In other words, by being kind to your enemy, you cause them to become red in the face through embarrassment and move them to repent. But it's important to understand that in this context, coals of fire doesn't refer to revenge or punishment, but to the pangs of shame that will lead to reconciliation. Indeed, the imagery of the burning coals represents pangs of conscience, more readily affected by kindness than by violence. The wise and godly advice of Solomon, Paul, and Jesus is very clear. We must love our enemies and return evil with good, in hopes that our adversary will be moved to repentance. But even if they aren't, Solomon promises in Proverbs 25.22 that the Lord will surely reward you. Therefore, contrary to our sinful instincts, we must love our enemies and overcome evil with good, no matter what. 
So this metaphor may or may not be referring to an old Egyptian custom in which a guilty person, as a sign of repentance, carried a basin of glowing coals on the head. And just like their faces would become red from the heat, our enemies become red in the face from embarrassment because of our kind and loving response. But whether this is the exact image Solomon had in mind or not, the message of Solomon and Jesus and Paul is still crystal clear. We must never return evil with evil, but return evil with good, and love and pray for our enemies and our persecutors. Now, not only is this the right thing to do as believers in Christ, but by doing so, our enemies may be drawn into repentance and actually become our friends. And becoming our friends might lead them into a saving relationship with our friend, Christ Jesus. An important life lesson from the Lord Jesus, Solomon, and Paul. Yeah, it's it's important because Jesus also said, love your enemies, you know, and he said, love your neighbor as yourself. And the clear comment here is that Jesus Christ says that we are to respond differently than the world responds. Mm -hmm. That's best illustrated in road rage. And uh, when, you, when somebody cuts you off, man, you're gonna, you know, and God says, listen, Control yourself. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's very good, Ryan. Mm -hmm. Very good. Okay, Corey. All right. Well, in Matthew chapter four, we get the first fishing talk of the gospels, but it doesn't just end here in Matthew chapter four. And of course, I'm talking about Jesus calling his first disciples, you know, uh, uh, Simon Peter and Andrew, he goes and he calls them while they're at their daily work, which is they were fishermen on the Sea of Galilee specifically. But now throughout all four Gospels, we are going to be getting references to fishing practices and allusions to fishing practices uh, on the Sea of Galilee. And some of them are quite pointed. So let's take a look at first century fishing on the Sea of Galilee and see what we can learn. A central location in the New Testament Gospels is the Sea of Galilee. As Jesus' ministry was begun in the Galilee region, and because several of his disciples were fishermen of Galilee, Jesus famously interacted with the lake. Here, he helped the disciples catch miraculous amounts of fish, even a specific fish. He calmed a storm, walked on water, taught from boats, and traveled on the lake to new regions. The Bible records some interesting details about fishing nets and fishermen, even using these as examples of the kingdom of God. In the ancient world, three types of fishing nets were used on the Sea of Galilee. The oldest and perhaps most important was the drag net. This net created a long wall parallel to the shore that would be pulled into the shore by ropes attached to its sides. Drag nets were up to a thousand feet long and 25 feet tall at their middle point. Lead sinkers would be attached to the bottom rope and cork floats to the top rope of the net, creating a wall to capture fish. These large nets would be arranged on a boat on a special platform and then spread into the sea as the boat sailed about 100 yards from shore. A team of up to 16 men, eight on each side, would man the ropes and pull them in while they walked farther inland and toward each other. Dragging in the net would capture any fish between the net and the shore, potentially bringing in hundreds of pounds of fish. The fish would be sorted on shore because only three kinds of fish in the Galilee were considered fit to eat and commercially important. The net would be reordered and the fishing team would begin again in a different spot. This could be repeated several times a day. Jesus seems to have had the dragnet in mind when he said, 
Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. The cast net was able to be used by a single fisherman, either standing in shallow water or from a boat. It was circular and about 25 feet in diameter. The fisherman would throw it on the water and weights attached to its perimeter would sink it quickly to the bottom of the lake, trapping any fish underneath it. The fisherman would dive down and gather the edges of the net and drag it to shore or swim it back to his boat. A trammel net is composed of three layers. The outer have larger weave net, while the inner is tightly weaved. Several trammel nets are joined together to create up to a 500 foot long trap. The net is spread in the water in a curve or various shapes designed by the fishermen. The boat then sails between the shore and the net and the fishermen splash, stomp, hit the water in the boat with their oars to scare the fish away and into their trammel net. The fish become tangled and they're taken out one by one as the net is pulled up. Or if there's a really great catch, the net may be taken to the shore to be detangled and reset. Fishing like this was generally done at night because the nets were made of linen, which would be too visible to the fish during the day. So there we go. Lots we can learn from historiography when it comes to fishing in the first century at the Sea of Galilee and how that really goes hand in hand with the scriptures and just how accurate the scriptures are when they talk about some of these practices. It was, it was well known, uh, you know, some of the gospel authors, uh, and, and, and people who gave their eyewitness testimonies were fishermen on the Sea of Galilee. So it makes a lot of sense. I think it's important for us to remember that we, they didn't eat like we eat today. And because we go through drive-throughs and, and we go to fast food and all that stuff, they, they didn't have that. I mean, it was a different world, for it sure. It was a different world. And you have, to, you have to fix your dinner and all of that sort of thing. And they did that and carefully. And uh, that's very interesting. So uh, fisherman trade was very different than it is today. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Thank you, Corey. Janice. Well, we are on a fishing theme, and uh, my segment is called Fishers of Men, which of course takes my mind back to my childhood and Sunday school, and many of you sitting there at home with uh, I will make you fishers of men, fishers of men, and you used to cast a line, fishers of men. I will make you fishers of men if you follow me. If you follow me, if you follow me, I will make you fishers of men if you follow me. That was one of my favorite little songs to sing. I taught it to my kids and every opportunity that I have with my little grandsons, we do the same thing. We sing a lot of the Sunday school songs, but Today, I just love, as we're getting into the Gospels, as we are seeing Jesus enter into his ministry and how he interacted with people. Here, you know, he's meeting, as Corey has already pointed out, he's, he's met Peter and Andrew, and he's watching them as they're casting their nets from their boat into the waters, and he calls to them where they are in life, in that moment. And he says, he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And the very next verse says, they immediately left their nets and followed him. And then going down along a little farther along the shore, he meets the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John. And they were sitting with their father in their boat, 
mending the nets, which probably means they had already done their fishing, maybe perhaps through the night, and they were sitting making the repairs. And once again, Jesus calls them, and it says as well, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And we go on and we will read more and more about the encounters that Jesus will have uh, with those that were called to be his disciples, with those in the multitudes that came just because they had heard about the things that Jesus was doing and the things that Jesus was teaching. And we have that same opportunity today. You know, some of you right now, you feel that tugging at your heart, that um, there's something somewhere inside of you that is is understanding or feeling a difference now when you're hearing about Jesus. It's more than just a name to you. Your spirit is being activated and that you want to get to know who he is. And I would challenge you that if you've never read through the Bible or if you've never really thought about God and who he is and what he's done, maybe you've heard little things about him. Maybe you even remember singing that song as a child and that you went to Sunday school, but somehow life has gotten in the way and you've drifted away. Don't drift. Come on back home. Get involved in the Bible. And if you want to stick with the, this program, we can help you to do that. But make a commitment to get back with the Lord. Get back into his word and spend time with him because he is there ready to meet you no matter where you are in life. And he may have been putting people around you at work or at school, wherever you are. You may be a young person that you don't even know what your future holds. And this world right now, you don't even know where to turn because it looks so unsteady. Well, let me introduce you to one who is steady, one who never changes, and that's God and his word. It never shifts and it never changes. So get to know this God. Call on him today. Believe in your heart that he died and rose again for you and come to him. He will forgive your sins and he will help you. He will come and make a place inside of you to live inside of you, to help you to make your decisions and to help you live a life that is more abundant, that is clear. You'll feel like you have a purpose because you do. You're not a mistake. You are an absolute wonderful design by God who loves you intensely. Think on that today. Today we want to pray. Now, now, it's important for us to understand, and I trust that you're watching, so thank you for watching the prayers that we've just seen. We need to turn this prayer and also pray for ourselves. I want to pray for myself so that I understand. Will you follow me and pray as well? Father, in Jesus' name, the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, I want to grow in you. Please help me to find the church and help me to go to that church and serve that church. Help me to do works in that church to grow in you. 